Hello, and welcome to Great Companies, Great Leaders. I am your host, Christine Gannon, and the founder and CEO of Brightworks Consulting, as well as the president of the Foundation for Female Equity and Inclusion. So glad that you joined us today for another amazing guest to talk about leadership and what's happening with leadership, especially in the midst of some unsettling times, but really looking forward to hearing from Chris and hearing about um, her leadership journey. So welcome, Chris Johnson. So glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We are going to start like we always do with a little bit about our guest in terms of how she, how she got where she is today, but her bio for uh, those of you who haven't met her or heard of her yet. Chris has built a reputation for surfacing and working on the hard things, the invisible things, and those ways of being that support a balanced, integrated life where decisions align with the wisdom of the body. In short, she's dedicated to transformational change for individuals and those whom they serve. By integrating evidence-based teachings on the neurobiology of attention and the wisdom of the body, Chris provides professionals practical approaches, which we all need, on the neurobiology of attention and the wisdom of the body. And she provides approaches that lead in our volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world, which we were just alluding to a minute ago here. Um, these approaches really help in this environment that we find ourselves in. She's a sought after executive business coach, speaker, retreat leader, and she's chair of the Chicago chapter of Conscious Capitalism. She's also the founder of Q4 Consulting, where she partners with individuals and organizations to design and implement training programs that access intuition, surface internalized patterns and mindsets, and address the roadblocks inherent in change. Through embodied leadership offerings, she and her team support professionals at all levels to build capacity, compassion, and resilience needed to thrive as leaders, which right now we we need all of that, right? We all do. of that. <laughs> we totally do. Resilience yeah. and capacity. Yes, exactly. Chris is also an author. Her book is coming out on July 12th. We're going to talk a little bit about that and how you might be able to pre-order that before it comes out and how you'll be able to access her. So Chris, welcome. We always start our podcast with a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today. What does your leadership journey look like? You know, I thought this was a fabulous question uh, that you had asked. And, um, you know, I kind of, uh, last week, I spoke to an EO group, so Entrepreneurs Organization, and I told them a story uh, about my growing up with two entrepreneurial parents. And so when I was growing up in downstate Illinois on a farm, farming community, um, both of my parents worked, they had their own businesses, and I knew really early on what it took to be a business owner. It took way more than 40 hours a week. It took lots of nights and weekends and lots of attention to customers and clients. And it was always a big juggling act. And so what I would say is by the time I was in my mid to late 20s, I was already the director of an, a basically an employee assistance program called the Employee Resource Center and really was helping people committed already to how do we balance this thing called life and work and work with our stress. So that's where I think it started a long time ago, probably even before then, um, really being committed to leading in such a way that there's a lot of equity 
that everybody's voices are heard, that um, the right actions are taken, whatever the right actions might be at any one moment. So that's where it started. Um, and then fast forward, I've been in various leadership roles, started my company almost 20 years ago, and um, I'm involved, as you mentioned, with conscious capitalism, because I think we need leaders today that are really agile and adaptable, empathetic, but aren't afraid to make the hard calls. So that's just a little bit. I don't know if there's more. I mean, we could probably go on, but that's kind of that's an overview. That's super helpful. And I want to build on something you just said, because I think, you know, spending a little bit of time in the environment we're in today, you, you talk to it and in your bio, but also just recently in terms of what our leaders are faced with and what it requires right now to be a good leader. So talk to us a little bit about what you think the most important opportunities are for leaders to focus on right now. What, what types, I, I'm hesitant to say challenges, so I'm going to call them opportunities, but what do you think the most important things are right now? Yeah, that's a really great question too, Christine. I think uh, the most important opportunity right now that I think leaders can take is to really uh, address managing and working with themselves as leaders. Mm -hmm. Because as we often say, leaders go first. And so if I'm a leader and I'm going first, that could mean all kinds of things. But from the point of view of kind of the craziness and a polarization all around that's going on and the all that's going on within the income inequality, the workplace post-COVID, if it's really post-COVID, we're not sure how well that works yet. Um, all of that, we need leaders who are really able to be nimble. And the way to be nimble is to pay attention in a very focused way. We know that um, paying attention is a big part of emotional intelligence. And in order to be emotionally intelligent, we have to pay attention to what is happening for us and our people and the larger landscape. So I think the big opportunity is for leaders to cultivate and hone their skill of paying attention. And that means, and this is the second book I'll probably write down the road, Christine, has to do with um, listening more than talking mm. and then uh, developing teams that are really connected teams. We're going to see a rise in virtual teams. We've already done that, but I think that's going to continue. And if that's the case, how do you create a sense of connection, humanity, empathy with virtual teams um, so that we can all come together for whatever the greater good is that our company, our organization is promoting? That is the challenge right now, what you're talking about in terms of keeping that connection and keeping the culture, right? Mm -hmm. Keep maintaining and developing and cultivating a culture of connectedness yeah. when, when we're so disconnected in terms of our physical physical yes. location. And if communication, if that statistic that's been out for a million years around communication, if body language is 80% mm -hmm. communication yeah. and we're on Zoom calls, even mm -hmm. if with the camera on, it's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult it's very to read, right? And then we have a lot of people who don't want to be on camera and mm -hmm. organizations who support that. And then I think the communication breakdown, the, the risk of communication and the lack of connectedness increases. So agree with you. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And, you know, one of the things in the organizations that I've been working with is, for example, over Zoom is there's uh, the option to be off Zoom, off camera is really um, 
strongly discouraged, right? Strongly discouraged. If there's something emergent, whatnot happening, but the risk is if people are off camera, then they're all, their attention's over here, over to the right or to the left, not really on the conversation happening. So really encouraging people to stay on camera and to fully attend and participate. And we know that Zoom makes us really tired. So kind of adjusting some of the meeting times, things like that, where folks can hopefully start to feel into a little bit via Zoom, how to connect across the wire, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I wanna go back to a couple of things you said in terms of the most important opportunities for leaders right now. So some of what I captured, emotional intelligence, so important, self-care, being nimble, paying attention, employee focused. And I wanna want to stop on that one for a minute because I think with, it feels like every day, I won't say every hour, but every day we have a breaking news on our phone, right? Or coming across our computer. And, and I think there's a level of trauma and drama that comes with that. And mm -hmm. at the same time, we have employees who are living an experience that if we're not tuned into our employees and if we're not paying attention to your point, we may miss the opportunities to coach and mm -hmm. provide that level of engagement and security and just knowledge around we, we're understanding what they're potentially going through or we want to understand what they're going through. So paying right. attention, I think, will be king as we move into this next phase of pandemic, non-pandemic, wherever we're at. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I would say that, and this is why I titled my book, The Leadership Pause, the, and actually the whole book, there's a bunch of research and stories, but the whole book is really a call to action for leaders to commit to pausing. Mm. And there are a variety of kinds of pauses, but when we do that, we give ourselves a chance of, to reset. So we know from the neuroscience research that when we're all jazzed up and our neurochemicals are flying here and there, distracted, all of that, it only takes between 60 and 90 seconds for those stress hormones to start to dissipate if we pause. If we don't pause, we're gonna run right through all of those. And then we'll just kind of keep up this vicious cycle of feeling overwrought or, or overwhelmed to the point where I need to numb. There's some leaders I work with who are like, oh, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I'm gonna back away and kind of numb. So really being able to pause and attend, like what's the next right step versus just the step I automatically take mm -hmm. as a result of being in my life and leading. Right. Right. Yeah. And not pausing or pausing. I, I know leaders will say, I can't take a vacation. There's not enough time or I can't take an afternoon off. It's really not a luxury because no. mm -mm. if you, if you allow yourself permission to take that pause, right. If you give yourself that permission and understand that it's not a luxury, it's a really kind of <laughs> non-negotiable, essentially. Yeah right? Non-negotiable, essential. essential. Yeah. You give your people, those people that work with you and for you and collaborate with you, you mm -hmm. give them permission to do the same. And then we begin to create what you talked about in your bio in terms of this resilient workforce, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. we're taking a pause to consider everything that's happening to reflect and to make better decisions potentially and or respond differently. That's right. Totally. Totally right. Spot on. I couldn't agree with you more. That's right. 
So we're not doing it just for ourselves, right? We're doing it so that others, almost like the role model, right? We're, we're modeling that so our teams will do the That's same. Right. Yeah, and, and not only is it, um, it is role modeling, and I guess maybe the deeper level with the role modeling is if a leader consistently takes a pause as a regular routine practice, and then maybe an occasional vacation, like we should, sure. kind of thing, not only is it modeled, but what they don't maybe always fully get, I don't think, is how that not only allows folks to do that as well, but they feel a sense of greater connection. Like, oh, he or she is the leader. They understand it. So maybe I could have a different kind of conversation with them. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can have a different kind of conversation with my direct reports as well. So it has something to do, pausing has a lot to do with connecting for sure. It really does. And I'm thinking back for myself when I started my career and it was a, a different time then, not too long ago though, but <laughs> <laughs> a different time we'll say. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, when I went on, I would take a vacation. And when I went on vacation though, I traveled with my laptop and my cell phone because I was never far away from either. And it really never was a vacation right? Yeah. It was a working vacation in terms of I'm available if there's something that people need, or I need to respond to an email. There's never a time that I can recall that I literally took a vacation where I was absent, right? And it wasn't because there was some level of importance or something like that, like the, the world was going to stop spinning or anything mm -hmm. like that. It was an expectation in the workplace that said you're available, right? Yeah. And yeah. pausing is not necessarily promoted mm -hmm. um, at that time, right? I think we've changed a lot, especially with what we've gone through and with the pandemic and, and where yeah. employees and employers are at. But I'm, I'm happy to see it's a different time because your book is so well-timed in terms of what we need as leaders to be successful. I think so. I really, really think so. You know, there's a study that I cite in the book. It was a collaborative study between... Um, the Center for Creative Leadership and IBM. I know you have a long history with IBM. And they interviewed 1,500 CEOs. You might know the study. And they wanted to know how these 1,500 CEOs were faring in an increasingly volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous environment. And well over half of them, closer to 60, high 60%, said that they were concerned about the complexity of their environments and more than half of them, so 750, 800 people, mostly men, uh, said that they themselves were not prepared to know how to lead in this environment. And these are really smart people. These are you know, educated folks, smart people. And yet like, how do we actually get our heads around these wicked complex issues that are going on in our own uh, economy, but also around the globe and how we function, right? So being able to reset, which is really the effectiveness of the pause, because truth be told, we're all animals, we're biological beings. And if we do not take care of our biology, mm -hmm. we get overstressed, and then we're not very good as leaders, not very good as folks. I mean, we just don't have it energetically, right, right. to show up. So it's really, really important to pause. And it does get a bad rap. You know, I, I speak to that in the book too about how pause gets a bad rap 
because people associate it with stopping forward momentum or stopping growth. And it's actually not that at all. If we learn to and commit to cultivating a pause, we actually have more time, we actually have more energy, and we can be much more effective. Absolutely. I can't wait to read your book, by the way. I'm really excited. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad. Thank you. (laughs) So a couple more questions before we we close for today. But one thing you would tell yourself as a young leader just starting out, what would you tell yourself if you only knew this? If I only knew this, I would say be open to learning Mm -hmm. and uh, be willing to drop what you think you know. And the reason I would say that is uh, one of my early experiences, I was hired to teach a stress management course at a big bank in downtown Chicago early on in my career when I was in that position I mentioned earlier. And at that time, stress was considered to be, you know, fight, flight, freeze, and there was a certain way you managed it. And so instead of, um, so you managed stress. And I was preparing to work with this group, a couple different sessions at the bank. And I came down in August, so it's really hot in Chicago. Um, I came down with this really serious rash and big blotches on my legs and they would wake me up at night and I was scratching. It was really embarrassing and I didn't know what had happened. I thought maybe a new detergent or poison ivy or something. Finally, I went to the doctor, did some stress test or uh, allergy tests. And she came back and she said, well, the good news is you are not allergic to a thing. The difficult news is, less good news, is that you have a severe case of contact dermatitis. And uh, she said, I think my diagnosis for you is chronic stress. Now, mind you, I'm going to teach a stress management class. This is chronic stress. So I was really kind of embarrassed about that. I couldn't believe that she had said that. And then moreover, she recommended that I take a stress management class. That is hilarious. (laughs) It it was hilarious and very humbling. And that's when I discovered the work of mindfulness and John Kabat-Zinn, who has a different way of working with stress, which is practicing pausing to be with versus Mm -hmm. trying to manage and cajole. And so that's when I really took on the practices a long time ago and have been doing that ever since and teaching people how to do it because it makes a total difference in how we work with ourselves. And it is all about becoming more resilient. So I would tell myself to listen a lot more and let go of what you think you know. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. Okay, last question. Last question. Who is your hero? Mm. Hands down, that would be my dad, Roger. He is uh, since gone from us, but my dad um, had a severe, severe stutter. And so growing up uh, to sit with him and listen, it took, and he was a storyteller, no less. And so he would tell these stories and they'd be really long and drawn out because you had to wait, you couldn't interrupt him. And what I learned from him as my hero, he was incredibly persevering. He did not, so talk about grit. He was a gritty kind of guy, affable. Everybody liked Raj, ended up running for political office in my hometown and had a big impact on people, but he accepted who he was. He accepted and worked with his speech impediment. Uh, He taught me how to pause just by virtue of the fact that he had such a severe stutter. And he's, he's my hero, no doubt. Probably learned the most from him. That's awesome. Thank you. Go Roger. 
Thank no you. No rocks. <laughs> yeah. Jack, thanks for asking. So Chris, how can people find you if they want to connect with you after the podcast? They could find me a couple ways. You could email me directly at Dr. Chris, C-H-R-I-S at Q4, the letter Q number four dash consulting.com or go to the website uh, q4-consulting.com and you'll find there's a contact form if you have a little bit more you want to say. You can also find me on LinkedIn. So I'm here in Chicagoland, psychologist, you'll see it there. So all of those ways, I'd be happy to respond and connect with anybody. And to pre-order the Leadership Pause, they can find you on Amazon, the Leadership Pause. They can find me on Amazon. In fact, what I can say today, Christine, is that as of Next week, um, Tuesday, the 12th of July, there'll be a 99 cent Kindle uh, promo running for five days. So folks can grab the ebook if they like or order the hardcover. And hopefully, fingers crossed, the audiobook will be available too. So, and then after that, there's they'll be on the, all the major platforms, the book. So, well, congratulations yeah. on your book. Thank you so much for being an amazing guest today and wishing you well. Thank you, Christine. It's been a delight. I really appreciate it. Take care. Brightworks Consulting hosts this podcast and YouTube channel to spotlight the leadership around the world that is changing lives. Brightworks offers a myriad of consulting services in the public and private sector to include diversity, equity, and inclusion solutions for any size company. You can find us at www.brightworksconsulting.com. We're honored to have Best Companies AZ as a presenting sponsor for this podcast. Best Companies AZ is your number one source for regional employer branding. You can find them at www.bestcompaniesaz.com.